There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We have never done a live podcast, so it, we're really happy to be here. <laughs> yes. First we're sitting up here going, are we really in Norway doing a podcast? But okay. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Recently, Lane and I traveled to Norway to participate in an amazing narrative conference. It's the second consecutive year for us, and we were, once again, excited to help inspire and engage Norwegian journalists who are embracing narrative work. Shout out to our buddies Bjorn Nord, and Anna Jo Alexander for orchestrating a spectacular event. Over the next few weeks, you're going to get a front row seat as they have graciously offered us audio recordings of some of the English language sessions, including one from Lane. We also have, this week and next, Right Lane episodes that were recorded before a live audience. Yeah, we're still pinching ourselves about that. First up, a conversation with Christopher Gofford of the Los Angeles Times. Christopher's serialized narrative, Dirty John, became a blockbuster podcast and a TV miniseries starring Connie Britton. Fun fact, Lane went to church with Connie when they were kids growing up in Maryland. Here, Chris talks about what inspires him as a writer. Today's topic, telling stories with pictures. Uh, we want to talk about what made you want to be a storyteller in the first place. Okay, well, my answer is probably different from uh, the one you hear from most journalists. Uh, I didn't grow up reading the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times like the other 10-year-olds. I, uh, <laughs> I was into comic books. I was into superhero comics and horror comics and uh, science fiction comics. And I spent most of my early teens obsessively drawing my own, uh, my own graphic novels when I should have been out playing with other kids, uh, I suppose, <laughs> climbing trees. Um, but that's what I did, and I realized later that it gave me a huge advantage as a writer for a newspaper. And I realized that uh, that early experience gave me a sense of the basic grammar of visual storytelling and narrative storytelling, because it's all about telling stories with a series of images, uh, a panel full of information that propels you into the next panel full of information, and so on, uh, where to direct the eye. This is a close-up for maximum intimacy. This is an establishing shot. This is a worm's eye view. This is a bird's eye view. Um, all of those concepts uh, sank into my bones at a very early age before I ever worked for a newspaper. There's also the, the, the concept in comics of the splash page, which is uh, a page very early uh, in the issue, uh, which is designed to seize the reader's attention. Um, and from there, you back up to find out how the hero got himself into this position of maximum peril. And at journalism schools, uh, this very technique is, uh, is known by other names. Sometimes it's called the McPhee 9 
or the, the queue where you basically start very close to the end of the story, you loop back, catch up chronologically, and then proceed from there. So when I sit down to write a story, I'm always thinking of the images that I'm going to describe. So you could have been a director and you decided to instead be a journalist, right? I, I've been doing it for 23 years now. So that was graphic novels, you said, but like TV and movies have influenced you too. Oh, absolutely. Um, growing up uh, in, the, in the 70s in the United States, it's almost impossible not to be influenced um, by that stuff. And uh, what I've spent the last few years doing is serialized narratives, serial narratives. And they live or die on your ability to get the reader to come back. Um, in the same way that any series you see on Netflix uh, succeeds or fails on their ability to hold the viewer. And um, there are a number of techniques that uh, are uh, applicable to journalism that you can steal from binge watching uh, your favorite Netflix series. Um, uh, building a narrative engine. There's a narrative engine uh, in just about every TV show that you'll see, which is a question or a dilemma that's posed that needs to be resolved. And if you can think in those terms as you're putting your story together, uh, I think you will have a, uh, a compelling story. Um, the other thing that you learn working in television and studying television and movies is uh, that character is action and action is character. So that you portray who people are by, by showing them in action because you can't get inside their thoughts. Um, and so I do have a clip here uh, from episode two of Dirty John, which uh, Rob has, uh, which I think illustrates an interesting point. Um, what you're about to see is actually something very sinister, but I'm not sure it will be recognizable as sinister um, until you see the entire, uh, the entire series. Can we play that clip, Rob? recipe. Experiment. Orange, mango, carrot, ginger, and vodka. <laughs> Perfect temperature. <laughs> Kale. Pineapple, wheat germ with a touch of turmeric. Strawberry, banana, and spirulina. Blueberry, blackberry, strawberry, and another kind of berry. I love you. 
So I think this is uh, effective storytelling. Uh, with, <laughs> it's with, creepy is what it is. With yeah. images, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's creepy. It's uh, uh, a portrayal of a man who is seeking to exert total domination and control over uh, a woman who's falling in love with him. Um, he's seeking to make her completely dependent on him. So it's uh, a short step from here to, uh, Deborah, let me help you with your bank accounts. Um, give me your number. Um, the beginning of the manipulation. The, yes, th this is all, uh, this is all uh, an example of the sociopath that John Meehan was um, practicing, his, uh, practicing his, his manipulation on a woman who's falling in love with him. It's one thing to say um, in a story, John showered her with intense uh, uh, attention. And uh, that's true, but it's abstract and it's forgettable and it's weak. It's much more powerful and memorable if you can show actual images of it happening. Uh, it also gives you, I think, a visceral sense of what it's like to be inside this relationship uh, so that people may see this and get a little bit of an understanding as to why she fell for this guy. They look at the, you know, the montage of the various uh, blueberry and strawberry and turmeric uh, shakes, and they may go, I can kind of understand um, why she fell into this guy's spell. But putting toothpaste on her toothbrush? Creepy. <laughs> yes, pretty creepy. How did you write that scene in the written part? Uh, well, I got some, I think that's the beginning of, uh, of part two, where he... He is uh, running her errands for her. He's uh, taking her to the doctor's appointment. He's holding her hands at the, at the doctor's appointments. If you want to hear the uh, podcast equivalent of that scene, it's the opening of uh, part two of the podcast. So because this was TV, we could take some liberties um, uh, and we could extrapolate a little bit on the, uh, the fact basis that I, uh, that I gather during the reporting. So we, we've talked before that, I mean, Lane came out her career in the, in, the, in the way you described, reading the Washington Post, reading about Watergate, deciding, you know, to go save the world that way. Uh, <laughs> but, but you've become, I mean, you too and try novels. to be cinematic. I mean, that novels. is... Novels, yeah. I yeah. was an English major. So yes, I had, that's right. That was literature was more, more than comic books or movies even. Right. Yeah. But now have also embraced this idea, and I think that's... What Absolutely. we love about narrative work, um, that you can put someone in the moment and make them feel that way. Uh, do you storyboard still, like you did with comics? Uh, I try to, yeah, and I do, uh, I do drawings of uh, the people that I'm writing about, oh, and really? uh, I'm in the courtroom a lot these days, and there's a lot of dead time, so I find myself doing sketches of the, uh, of the players. You can get in trouble in federal court if you're doing this. Um, I got stopped by the bailiffs once because I was, do I was covering the Aryan Brotherhood murder trial in federal court in California and sketching the witnesses. Um, and uh, pretty soon the bailiff paid a visit to me and said, uh, are you going to publish those? Um, because it'll endanger the lives of the witnesses. And I said, no, this is for my own use. It's, it's very useful to describe people. Um, so... How can you visually recreate a scene you didn't witness? Sometimes you are obviously doing first-hand reporting and, and watching stuff, but for a lot of folks, that's a challenge. Because most of this was recreated, right? right. Most this, of your dirty this, John. Oh yeah, the guy was dead before uh, <laughs> right. we, even, we even knew about the story. So all the scenes there, 
or recreated? Right. Um, well, uh, interviews with the participants is the obvious thing. Mm -hmm. We have a, a, a treasure trove of information now that we didn't used to have, which is texts. People keep texts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And if they're in a relationship with somebody, often they'll have their most important conversations via text. And so a question I always ask is, during the period in question, do you have any texts that you exchanged? And can you share them with me? Another great thing to do is to ask for photographs. Uh, I've done stories recreating entire scenes based on the photos that the police took when they raided a house. You know, if I'm describing the life of, uh, of a couple in uh, Irvine, California, um, I had, who wouldn't talk to me, I had to rely on photographs uh, that the police took when they raided the house, and you could see what kind of board games they had in the closet, you can see what kind of exercise equipment they had in the garage, and you get a little glimpse of the people who occupy the house by these sort of details. Um, I, I, I asked for journals. Um, I did a story about uh, a young woman who ran away from home and was riding the rails across America, who jumped off a train and was hit by another and killed. And I reconstructed her last journey on the train. And uh, her, her family sent me her journals um, that she was keeping as she was on the rails. And uh, that's a very effective way of getting into somebody's mind and giving you, a, giving you a sense of what they were thinking during the period you're describing. What did you get from the Dirty John, from the woman in the story? I mean, how did she, what, what did she keep? What did she turn over to you? Oh, uh, tons and tons of texts, letters, photographs. Um, without, her, without her help, it would have been impossible to do it. Why would she do that? Like, I'm thinking, like, I mean, I'm sure uh, everybody here has this challenge. You know, why, why am I going to talk to a reporter? Why would I open myself up to this embarrassing sort of look at my foolishness? Um, how did you charm her into that? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I don't have subpoena power. We can't, <laughs> we can't compel anybody to talk to us. Right. Uh, and so with Deborah, it was uh, her feeling that her story might help some other people. Um, and she got a lot of criticism when the series came out from people who, uh, who attacked her rather viciously. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in the end it raised some awareness about an important issue that's not often talked about um, in an informed way. I mean, it's one thing to do a story about domestic violence uh, and psychological manipulation and maybe furnish the story with a quote or two and a statistic or two, but it's a whole other uh, level of intensity if you could go deep into somebody's life and describe um, what it felt like as it, would a as it was actually happening and show the text that she was exchanging with, uh, with Meehan as it was happening. 
Sure. Did you make that pitch to her initially? Like you should do this story because it'll help other people? Or did she come of that on her own? Because I always want to have a pitch. You know, when I'm asking somebody to like bear their soul to me, I spend a long time ahead of time make, making my pickup line. Like what's in it for you, you know? Uh, I think I just approached her with the, uh, with the, uh, uh, with the line, I'd like to tell your story. I think it's an important story. And as a pitch, that's amazingly effective. Your story is important, and I'd like to tell it properly. So you, got, you collect all this material. How do you sort through it and figure out what you're going to use? Um, how do you, do you create some kind of hierarchy on, what, on the material you have? What, what, how do you make those choices? I try it out on, uh, on friends and uh, colleagues <laughs> often. <laughs> um, and when they uh, begin to get bored, I make note of it. <laughs> and... Uh, and I keep what, uh, what is basically interesting. Do you pick scenes ahead of time, like before you start to write or put it together? Like, I know this is going to be one I'm going to choose, and I know this one is repetitive or doesn't tell so much. I try to. The, the challenge with this particular story and telling the story of John Meehan is he did this to a lot of women, and the stories were uh, repetitive. He did the same, the same sort of thing over and over. And so uh, Deborah kind of had to stand in for a lot of other people that he had done this to. But eventually certain scenes rise to the surface. So take us, so you, as a kid, you were growing up and you were doing, you know, you were getting into graphic novels and things like that. Do you still find inspiration from TV and movies? I mean, do you go on oh, Netflix and find like, okay, I, I'm picking up some technique from somebody there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, Lane and I were talking about Breaking Bad and how much we love that show. Um, and I mean, suspense is key, right? Yeah. Suspense is uh, the strategic withholding of information. That's one way, one way to build it. Um, and this makes uh, a lot of journalists uh, a little bit nervous uh, because it's counterintuitive. Because our job as journalists is supposed to be to gather information and give it to the public as quickly as possible. Um, but that's not really how good stories work, right? right. I mean, you don't, you don't learn in the opening scene of Jaws that they're going to blow up the shark <laughs> with, uh, with an oxygen tank, right? You don't learn in the first two minutes of Star Wars that, uh, that Luke is going to blow up the Death Star, right? Although if it were a newspaper story, it would be 25-year-old <laughs> Tatooine The Death Star was man. exploded today, yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blow, blows up space station, uh, Tuesday authorities said, right? That's what it would be. Um, that's not the way to tell the story. Um, but, uh, you know, as journalists, because what we do is, because we believe that what we do is civically important, and it is, we hope that uh, readers will come along with us for 20,000 words or 30,000 words as we shovel information at them. And maybe they will and maybe they won't, but uh, more likely they'll just read the headlines and maybe the first couple graphs. So you have to uh, constantly think about how do I keep their attention? How do I keep them engaged? Talk a little bit about endings and how important they are to your process. And obviously you had a tremendous ending on Dirty John. I, and, and I'm curious whether, you know, how much that drove you to do this story? Well, the ending was kind of where you began with it, right? Well, he was, uh, I'm going to ruin it for those of you who don't, who don't know the story. Um, but yeah, the, the, the violent death of uh, the title character uh, is what 
gave rise to our, uh, our interest in this. And the big challenge structurally is where do you reveal that, right? Do you write it backwards? Do you write 20,000 words building up to that moment? Um, it's a surprise ending. But yeah, I, I, like to, I like to write toward an ending. Lane and I have talked about this. Um, for me, a long story is basically a, a space shuttle launch, right? And you have to get your launch trajectory right. And you can't do that unless you know where you're going. Uh, so I, I, try and, I, I try and figure out what the final line is or the final paragraph is as early as possible. And then right towards that. I like the space shuttle analogy. I never thought about it like that. Um, every part has to harmonize with every other part, you know, to, to withstand the, the, the hostile atmospheres <laughs> of outer space. Well, you, so you knew where Dirty John was going to end, because that's kind of where you got interested in the story in the first place. But like when you're covering a court case, you don't know how that's going to end. Right. right. Um, some of my favorite stories, though, uh, Art Reconstructions, my favorite story I did for the St. Pete Times. It was my last story for the St. Pete Times. My favorite story of Chris's too. It was called The $40 Lawyer, and I got to spend a year with a rookie public defender in the Hillsborough County uh, Courthouse. And uh, I got full access because the stakes were relatively low, because he was dealing with misdemeanor crimes. His bosses said that I could accompany him. Um, on interviews with clients, I went to jails with him and all that. And we couldn't use the names of the uh, defendants that he was representing, uh, so I used um, usually tattoos, the interesting tattoos that they had, like the skull, right, um, to, to, to indicate uh, who they were. Um, but that was, uh, there was no reconstruction in that really, that was all being there, and I, uh, I kind of missed that, but it's a huge investment of time. Absolutely. Were you surprised by the reaction to Dirty John? Because, I mean, you've done a lot of interesting projects. Yeah. You've gotten a lot of attention for your work before, but this one just kind of blew up with the podcast too. Well, part of what I'm going to talk about uh, tomorrow at nine <laughs> is how... Uh, so be there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you'd like to know more, is how strange it is for me because I'm a print guy and uh, that was always my uh, ultimate ambition, uh, a word on a page. Yeah. Um, that was the height of my... Um, of my ambition and uh, never thought that I'd be telling stories in, uh, in the audio medium and it's gotten vastly more attention than anything I've, <laughs> I've written. So it's kind of ironic. No, and there's no way I could have known. I've written 2,000 stories. I do my best every time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I try my best every time and there's just no way to know what's gonna hit the zeitgeist. We're talking about writing cinematically, and you showed a clip that was from the Netflix series. But audio is not cinematic. So how, how do you translate that into sound? Well, you can paint a picture with words, right? I mean, I, I, I grew up on... Uh, see, I think podcasts are really just a new version of old-time radio, which I loved. Yeah. Orson Welles' Mercury Theater. Um, totally dating yourself. The now. Shadow. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, it was old-time radio even when I was a kid. I would buy the tapes at science fiction conventions, and there was a show I loved called Escape, and there was one called uh, Linogen versus the Ants about a man in South America who's surrounded by man-eating ants. And uh, it was, it was uh, so compelling, I remembered it years later. And so uh, I suppose some of Dirty John is an homage to, uh, to old-time radio in that way. But you can paint a picture. You can paint a very vivid picture if you engage the senses and the way that your stories do so well. 
Um, hope that answers the question. All right, I think we're we're getting on in time. That that was awesome. Thank you so much. All right, much. thank you. Thank you. Appreciate Chris. it. Thank Thanks, you. everybody. Okay, if you have a question for Lane or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.